You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voice person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. We are not coming to you from the train track enclosed nerve center like we normally do. We're coming to you from my home and the council members. Never expected to say that. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the Council. You may also know me as the Council's voice on social media at Council of DC. Listeners, this is a special round of hearing the Council interviews, one we never expected to have to do and hope we'll never have to repeat in the future. This is a special COVID edition of Hearing the Council. Uh, without any further ado, let me introduce our guest today, Ward 7 Council Member Vince Gray. Thanks for coming, Councilor. Well, not coming. Thanks for being with us, Council Member. Thank you, Josh. I just wanted to commend you again for the job you do uh, with this. You've helped put this whole thing together. Uh, we created this radio station approach um, when I was the mayor. I'm glad to see that it's come to fruition. And I'm glad to see you doing it. I've enjoyed being on your show uh, with you each time I've been here. Appreciate it. Just just before we, li- we went live, I was telling you or reminding you that a year ago you were on the show and you faced terrible traffic trying to get out to the DC radio studio uh, off New York Avenue because it was Memorial Day weekend 2019. And you got stuck in the beach traffic of folks heading to the beach. And we were just commenting how much has changed to this upcoming Memorial Day uh, weekend. That's exactly right, uh, Josh. And that was that was a nightmare trying to get to your show uh, that day. But we finally got there. <laughs> no, I'm a, a, a lesser lesser person would have given up and said it's not that big of a deal. But I appreciate your uh, your diligence. Well, if I make a commitment, I try to uh, adhere to it or live up to it. and I made a commitment to you and I wanted to make sure we did it right. I'm glad, glad we did. Glad we did. Uh, so uh, let's talk uh, COVID. Um, you know, uh, it's, uh, if only we had a council member who has a background in health and has been talking nonstop about hospitals for <laughs> the better part of a decade. Uh, do you know anyone who fits that description? I think I might be able to come up with somebody, Josh. Uh, you give me a few names, and I might be able to figure it out. <laughs> okay. No, I, uh, well, I mean, all seriousness, uh, you are from a health background, and um, you have been talking about health disparities in the city, racial and geographic health disparities, going back a very long time. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk about how you uh, might be experiencing uh, the COVID uh, response in a way that's very specific to your background and uh, your causes you've been fighting for. Well, you know, the, what's interesting is, and I did, a, uh, I did an op-ed piece uh, for one of our local papers uh, about this issue, and that is people have raised the question about the number of health disparities that have appeared, you know, among black and brown people. And uh, my question was, so what's new? I mean, we've been having this, this issue for years and years and years. So, if people are finally discovering it, where have they been? So if this helps to provide the catalytic agent that we need to be able to get to the next place, then I'm fine with it. Uh, so 
Uh, we've seen, uh, you know, large numbers of people uh, who have been, who have contracted the uh, virus uh, and the number of deaths. I mean, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about the number of positive cases in the District of Columbia being uh, oh, well over 7,000 uh, at this stage. Um, and then the number of deaths, uh, well over 400. Uh, no one, you know, saw this coming. Uh, although there are those who would argue that the uh, White House uh, should have seen this coming and didn't respond to the uh, to the uh, clues, the cues that we had before us. And that well may be true. Um, but for me, this has been an incredible uh, lesson uh, in how we need to make sure we care for people. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I've been working so hard, as you alluded to, in trying to get us to have a real healthcare system, uh, especially on the east end of the city, you know, where uh, Ward 7 and 8 are, are part of that, you know, ge geography, and uh, where it represents a quarter of the population of the District of Columbia. 7 and 8 are 25% of the population that we have in the city, and uh, we haven't properly paid attention to that uh, over the years. Uh, we've had lots of uh, health problems that people have experienced, and we could have done better. And we have a chance to do better now. Uh, I'm really pleased with the uh, the mayor having come forward in her budget uh, with the uh, focus on a real healthcare system. That's what we need to focus on, not just the hospital. All those services that are necessary to be able to help people get to a good place and then stay at a good place uh, once they get there. So I'm excited about the opportunity that we have before us. Uh, it's long overdue. Uh, we need to do this now and we need to do it as quickly as we possibly can. Um, if you wanna talk about some of the details that I'll be happy to, to do that, uh, Josh, uh, but you know, we're talking about now um, a hospital uh, being built on the grounds of St. Elizabeth's, but also adding to it ambulatory care, uh, adding to it uh, urgent care centers. There have never, there's never been, amazingly, an urgent care center in either of Ward 7 uh, or Ward 8, uh, for that matter. And we have a chance to do something about that at this stage. We had actually worked, Josh, with a, uh, an organization, MBI, which is very committed to healthcare. Uh, they went out and bought a building. They bought a building at the uh, intersection of Nanny Helen Burroughs uh, and uh, Division Avenue um, in, in Ward 7. And they are working now to get open what will be, what could be the first urgent care center um, in the history of uh, Ward 7. Uh, I'm hopeful that we get this done, and then we build on that. We, we recognize all the uh, other things that need to be done, and then really build on that to demonstrate to people that we deeply care uh, about the people who live uh, in Ward 7 uh, in particular, and in Ward 8, uh, to, to, to create a system that just doesn't uh, exist uh, at this point. So it is an exciting moment for the people of the District of Columbia, an exciting moment for uh, the people of Ward 7, uh, Ward 8, Again, just in terms of numbers, um, let's look at the reality that we have, uh, what, 170,000 people, 160,000 people at least, uh, collectively, uh, in Ward 7 uh, and Ward 8. And, uh, you know, if we ever really want to be, if we want to be a real city, those are the kinds of things that we have got to take care of. It's something I feel deeply about, and I'm glad to see that the mayor has stepped forward in her budget and uh, is advancing uh, what I think will be some real solutions uh, to the healthcare challenges that are faced by all the people who live in Ward 7 and live in Ward 8. So 
you got me started now. <laughs> so, and I'm delighted to be able to uh, talk about it and I'll be happy, happy to talk about it ad nauseum, uh, if you wish. <laughs> well, we'll try to stop just short of the ad nauseum part. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I think folks, it, 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 it may be obvious to, to some, but it, it's worth stating out explicitly that COVID is uh, the canary in the coal mine, that we're tragically losing uh, hundreds of people, but we're losing, the, the virus itself is not technically racist. We're losing people to COVID because a disproportionate number of Ward 7 and 8 residents have underlying conditions like high blood pressure and diabetes right. that weaken the body's fight against the virus. Right. So the real questions we have to ask uh, and, and, uh, and uh, problems we have to solve are the reasons why folks have those conditions, aren't getting the health care they need, uh, the food desert angle I know you've been active on, that Mm -hmm. Among the reasons that there are blood pressure problems and diabetes problems is that there's a lot of access to high sodium, high sugar food and not as much access to healthy food. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, long after COVID is gone, knock on wood, as soon as possible, we're still going to have these serious uh, problems that were unearthed by COVID um, that we're going to need to tackle. So how are you going to help keep a spotlight on those uh, longer term, harder to fix topics moving forward. Well, you put your finger on it in substantial part in terms of what you said, uh, Josh. Uh, you look at the reality that we live in, in areas in seven and eight, we live in areas where there are actually pronounced food deserts. Um, you know, situations where people just don't have uh, access to uh, the, the opportunities for food uh, to be purchased, to get food, to have it for their family. Um, and one of the reasons for that is we just don't have the grocery stores. Um, you look at Ward 7, we have two full-service grocery stores. Um, in Ward 8, we have one full-service uh, grocery store uh, at the moment. Then you put that alongside the fact that we are, we are uh, you know, making some changes. For example, um, you look at... Uh, one ward that has 10 full service grocery stores. When you start to add up the numbers, uh, we have somewhere on average uh, between um, uh, eight and nine full service grocery stores in every ward of the District of Columbia, except for Ward 7 and for Ward 8. So I have legislation uh, that went through the council, was unanimously approved by the members of the council, and then was signed by the mayor that would actually have the District of Columbia invest, the government invest in the building of grocery stores and make them uh, available to, uh, you know, qualified uh, providers uh, to be able to operate those grocery stores once they are, once they're done. So I'm excited about that. Uh, and I'm excited about the fact that we've got uh, now other opportunities to start to address some of these uh, food deserts that we have, uh, you know, impelling us, uh, uh, impacting us uh, every day. Um, and I want to be able to look up one day and say, look, we've got, now we've got uh, three or four, five grocery stores. In fact, we could have as many as six uh, in Ward 7 uh, alone and then work with the uh, other members, you know, especially member in Ward 8, uh, to be able to uh, address uh, some of the needs that uh, exist there and that have to be attacked. You, you, you talked about 
you know, the high sodium diets and the sugar, you know, the things that people eat now that may taste good to you, but it's not good for you. And uh, we want to be able to address those kinds of things uh, with attacking this uh, food desert problem that we have. And frankly, we can have all the, uh, you know, all the healthcare systems we want to, but unless we recognize the inextricable relationship between eating and uh, healthcare outcomes, uh, we'll never, we'll never get the answers that we are entitled to. And I want to, I want to make sure that we address that as effectively as we can. And again, not to be repetitive, but the health, uh, the the, the uh, deserts, the oasis uh, that exists now, food deserts. Uh, we got a lot of those, and the lack of a healthcare system uh, in some areas of our city. Now, I've been enough to remember back prior to the Whole Foods opening in Logan Circle. Mm-hmm. And I remember that the company was very, very reticent to open there. And back, this is before social media days, there was a significant uh, lobbying campaign that neighborhood undertook. Lo and behold, they opened the store and from day one, it was gangbusters. I think it's like literally one of the most profitable stores nationwide for the company. Think there's uh, enough pent up demand in Ward Seven and Eight that when the grocery stores do come there, there'll be a similar success story. I do, Josh. I think there's also a lot of resources that exist in Seven and Eight uh, that people just don't fully uh, recognize or acknowledge uh, at this point. Um, there's a lot of disposable income, especially say Ward Seven. There's a lot of disposable income uh, in in areas of Ward Seven. You know, we have an area of seven, it's uh, downtown, uh, Wood Seven, and we've got some folks, uh, Cedar Realty, uh, that we've been working with. They now own the East River uh, Shopping Center, and uh, we're glad that they've moved in and uh, purchased uh, the, uh, the shopping center. They've purchased, they've purchased, excuse me, the uh, Senator, uh, the Senator uh, Realty, uh, Senator Shopping Area uh, land across the street. And uh, we're hoping that they're going to expand that um, as well. So uh, yes, I think there is pent up demand. I think there's resources to be able to, for people to be able to uh, spend money uh, in, in our own city. And uh, you know, why do we want to spend money outside the city? Those tax dollars then will be going to Northern Virginia or Prince George's County or Montgomery County or whatever. Let's keep those tax dollars uh, home by investing ourselves in these kinds of services so that people will have them available uh, to themselves. Uh, I hardly support that. I do believe that we can do it. And um, what a great thing to be able to say that we've got healthcare system and we've got, uh, you know, we've got uh, food uh, opportunities available uh, to folks. You know, one of the things I was happy about too, uh, Josh, was um, just uh, recently we had Safeway, which actually came out. We worked hard with Safeway from the very beginning of my return to the council. And because uh, I went into the uh, stores uh, in the uh, East River uh, Shopping Center and went in Good Hope Marketplace off of uh, Alabama Avenue and looked at the conditions there. And I said, listen, we got to do something about this. And I, we had the media uh, that went out uh, with us. We should have had you going out there with us uh, to do something with us. So, but we had uh, the media that was out there with us. Uh, they did some TV clippings and did a story uh, on uh, TV, uh, on TV news uh, about that. And so it got us, it got focused on the uh, needs um, that exist. And uh, we need to continue to focus on those kinds of things. And to wit, 
um, it led us to the point where we asked Safeway to help us with some of the uh, the uh, food needs that people had during this COVID-19 uh, uh, epidemic. And Safeway stepped up. They said, listen, we're going to make a commitment. We will make sure that all of our shelves in, in two stores in Ward 7, um, you know, will be fully stocked during the entire time. In addition to that, they gave us $16,000 worth of uh, uh, non-perishable food that we were able to give away to uh, two of our uh, nonprofit organizations that worked with us to get that food out to people who need to be able to eat in a healthy way. And uh, it was a nice gesture by Safeway. But, you know, uh, more can do that, too. There, there are more out here who can do the same kind of thing. Now, let me ask you this, again, going back to the uh, Logan Circle Whole Foods uh, analogy. Fast forward a few years, uh, pretend that uh, a, a number of grocery stores have opened. What are you going to do to avoid the Logan Circle um, uh, situation that followed where it was a real amplifier for gentrification mm -hmm. in that area? That store opening kind of marked uh, a shift in that neighborhood uh, for the better from a food sense, but more complicated impact in terms of gentrification. So what, what uh, like you said, awards seven and eight that has a fully functioning health uh, um, sector and uh, a number of grocery stores, what will prevent that from gentrifying uh, that section of the city? I think, uh, frankly, uh, Josh, it's got to be a situation in which we recognize the need for continuing need affordable housing uh, in the District of Columbia so that people can uh, feel like they can continue to live in certain areas that they don't start to run off uh, somewhere else uh, because the housing that's located, let's say, in seven and eight is not unaffordable uh, to them. So, and one of the ways to do that is to continue to invest uh, in making housing uh, affordable. Uh, for example, um, the mayor has said she wants to build 36,000 uh, new units of housing. And that's going to take money, obviously. It's going to take investment. Uh, and so we need to do that so that people can afford to live in areas. You know, one area that's uh, really hot now, that's moving quickly, is Deanwood. Um, yeah, increasingly large numbers of people who live uh, in Deanwood at this stage. Uh, somebody, um, somebody referred to Deanwood as uh, the new Brookland. And I said, well, I don't know if, I, I don't know if I'd liken it to that. Uh, but... We, we want to be able to have as much housing as affordable to people as, as possible. And at this stage of the game, the only way to do that is with some of the investments that are being made. You know, I, when I was mayor, I was the first uh, mayor ever uh, to invest, start investing $100 million a year uh, in uh, housing. And uh, first year we did $100 million. And the second year we did uh, $287 million. And the current mayor, Mayor Bowser, has continued uh, on this pathway. And so I think if we want to be able to ensure um, that we make places, you know, the places are available to people who we want, you know, must have the opportunity to live there, should they want to live there, you got to keep it affordable. Uh, I, continue, I, I support uh, continuing our efforts around uh, rent control uh, because not, you know, people don't own, you know, they might like to own it or maybe they don't want to own it. But... Um, if they don't want to own it, we should be investing in uh, keeping uh, the rents affordable to people. And that means building housing that's affordable to people too. We have uh, a uh, development uh, that's been built um, right at Minnesota Avenue uh, and uh, East Capitol Street in Ward 7. And in, 
and the housing that's been built there is rental uh, housing uh, that is affordable. And we've got to continue to do those kinds of things uh, if we really want to allow people to have the opportunity to stay where they want to be. And for me, that would be staying in the District of Columbia. Okay, let's, um, you've mentioned it a couple of times, the uh, new budget the mayor proposed. Uh, we are facing, a, we'll call it an unprecedented situation, but an unpleasant situation where uh, because of uh, falling revenue, we need to cut, uh, you know, roughly three quarters of a billion dollars from the current fiscal year, ongoing fiscal year that's already half over, and a similar amount from next fiscal year, starting October 1st. Mm -hmm. In your time on the council and mayor, how daunting uh, of a budget situation is this? How, how does it rank in terms of bad spots we've been in budget-wise? Well, frankly, Josh, I've never seen anything like this. And I hope, you know, heavens, uh, I don't want to see another one uh, like this. As you put it, we, we lost revenue, $722 million uh, in revenue in a matter of uh, three months, four months. And we're going to face this uh, to a lesser or greater extent as we go forward uh, in the uh, in the future. So um, it is absolutely unprecedented. Um, and uh, I don't know, you know, I, I've, I've looked at the mayor's budget. I've looked at it somewhat in a cursory fashion because we just got it uh, in earnest uh, the day before yesterday, two days ago. Uh, and I want to obviously work now to try to do a thorough uh, analysis of what's being requested uh, moving forward. But there are uh, there are some cuts uh, that are in there, and we could, we should have expected that. Um, one of the things that is really good, though, and I'm pleased with this, is that you look at our reserves. Um, we have uh, you know we have reserves that have been set aside uh, in the bank. Let's put that to to uh, allow for a rainy day. And boy, is it rainy now. <laughs> uh, this is a rainy day, to say the least. But we had reserves that we could turn to uh, to be able to protect us against something uh, untoward like this uh, happening. And uh, that's one of the things that's protected us so far in getting through uh, this difficult situation. And by the way, it isn't just the District of Columbia. Every, every area of the nation uh, is facing this. And uh, to a lesser or greater extent, we'll have to face the cuts uh, as well. Uh, but we have not, I have not seen in this budget yet the level of cuts that I thought would, were likely to occur. And uh, I give the mayor credit uh, for that. The council now is going to have to do the hard work, the heavy lifting of getting uh, this budget to a point where we can feel comfortable that it continues to reflect uh, the priorities of the city. I was talking to somebody earlier today. Uh, we were talking about uh, you know, what the kinds of things that need to be done. And I think we've got to, as an institution, you know, all 12 and thirteenth, I guess, but we have to set, we have to set some priorities. We have to set, you know, some principles in place to say, here's what we think are the important things uh, for the city, like education. Uh, we've got to continue to invest in education. And I appreciate the fact that uh, she now has included uh, an increase of 3%. We, we, she talked about doing 4% earlier, which would have been a nice investment, but even 3%, that's still an increase in education. And if we don't invest in education for our children and our families, then it's a hopeless uh, set of circumstances. So uh, we've got to set some priorities and it would include education. 
and it certainly would include healthcare. As, we, as we've talked about already, uh, the important uh, situation that we have, especially in some areas of the city, if we don't invest, um, you know, now, it's, it's almost the old adage, oh, you pay me now, or you pay me later. Uh, and I'd rather not pay any more uh, later um, than we have to because we're making the investments now uh, in healthcare. So it's going to recall, it's going to call for each one of us as a council member to come together as a group uh, to look at those things that we consider to be so important and, and say we're committed to these investments uh, for the future, um, you know, of our city. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we started off by talking about how much things have changed in a year. From a budget standpoint, very recently the council was talking about what to do with surpluses, what, you know, talk of providing a metro uh, subsidy to every resident of the district. Um, uh, surplus money going to uh, um, violence interruption. Um, and I know you have some set-asides on programs that you've fought for, uh, birth to three, and like you were mentioning, uh, grocery stores east of the river. Where, um, what is the status of those programs? Do those go back, unfortunately, for a while to being wish list, or is there still a true hope in the short term that something will come of those? Well, unfortunately, I think that, that they will, to some extent, recede into the background uh, right now, but the needs won't uh, recede uh, at all. They will continue to uh, face us. Um, as you indicated already, uh, Josh, um, there are some things that I had, you know, uh, helped to create legislation uh, where we set aside some money. Uh, for example, uh, a lot of people don't follow the concept of PAYGO. Uh, it's kind of a simple term where you say, well, we pay for this as we go along. And uh, we had done that with um, our grocery store needs uh, that would have the city investing in the uh, construction of grocery stores. And we know that the, after the last audit, um, there was enough money there uh, that had was set aside uh, in, in the uh, reserves uh, to be able to make these investments. Uh, the problem for us is that um, as that, you know, as that uh, happened, um, and we had, by the way, um, what is tantamount to $323 million in reserves that could have been set aside for these purposes. Um, uh, half of the money would have gone to uh, affordable housing, and the other half uh, would have gone, should have gone, to, um, to you know, building grocery stores uh, for our people. So that money is largely gone. Uh, it's gone now, uh, and we'll have to look how we you know, start to rebuild uh, those reserves. So as much as I would love to say that the money is still there, that the opportunity is before us uh, and being, is not at this point. On the other hand, um, we do have money that's been set aside to some extent for uh, reserves uh, in the District of Columbia, uh, which is shocking uh, given the fact how much money we've lost uh, along the way. So it isn't as if uh, every opportunity has now disappeared uh, to be able to set aside some money as we go forward. Um, but it has, it has substantially reduced, uh, but we've got some opportunities now to keep the momentum going and we need to work to do that. But again, uh, not to be re repetitive, but um, we need to set some priorities and say these are the things that are most important to us right now. And uh, as much as we would like to invest in these other things, um, we're going to have to set that aside until we start to rebuild uh, the kinds of 
reserve opportunities that we've had in the past. Yeah, I was uh, noticing, I think just yesterday, uh, I won't, won't name the person, but one of our uh, uh, Wilson Building journalists, uh, a member of our Wilson Building Journalist Corps, was celebrating their child turning three wow. because they kick into free daycare from that point on, you know, and just thinking that such an odd, I can't imagine any other country or any other, I know we're lucky to have what we have for kids three and up, but that you're on the hook for your kid for daycare from birth through three. And the second they turn three, it's like you have a mortgage lifted off your shoulders. Yeah. Um, and we had a chance to kill that invented turning three and saving thousands of dollars date and push it back to zero. But now with the budget situation, that's going to be more of a challenge. It, it certainly is, Josh. It's going to be more of a challenge. And, you know, not making those investments in the very youngest um, of our citizens is, is just uh, ill-advised. Uh, you know, I did the, uh, the legislation that created a universal pre-kindergarten uh, in the city. And uh, we are still the only jurisdiction in America that has a universal pre-kindergarten. And I suspect other jurisdictions now are going to recede somewhat as well because they're not going to have the uh, resources to make these investments at all. Uh, we are we're going to continue, of course, our pre-kindergarten programs. But one of the things you just touched on it, one of the things that's hugely important to me is legislation I was able to get passed, and that is uh, creating uh, universal uh, birth to three uh, services, so that the very youngest of our children would have a chance to be in programs, to be in developmental programs that would lead them and their families uh, to the next place. Um, we we still are hopeful that um, the um, the um, revenue that we had set aside for um, the gambling, I would call it the, the wagering uh, revenue that uh, we had set aside. We expect that to come back in 2024. Um, it's 50% of it is supposed to go to uh, the NEAR Act, and then 50% of the uh, money is supposed to go to. Um, uh, to the birth of three uh, legislation, which I've done. Uh, we can't, we just, we've got to continue to make those investments. That is our future. And I don't want to be trite, uh, but it really is our future. And uh, we can already see the results of our children who have gone through the uh, um, pre-kindergarten programs. Um, I don't know if you and I have had a chance to talk about it at all, but um, we had a hearing uh, at the council with some some very young uh, children who came down and testified before the education committee. And one of the things that we celebrated during that period, this was uh, the, the information that came to us uh, right, uh, right around Thanksgiving, just before Thanksgiving uh, of this past year, because we were waiting for these test uh, scores to come before us. And I was so anxious to see those test scores because it was the first uh, cohort children who had gone through the pre-kindergarten program, they were now eighth graders. Um, and what I wanted to see is how well they had done. And their, their scores were phenomenal. Uh, we were so proud of what those kids had done. And it makes such a hugely important case for why the investment in early childhood education is so essential. Uh, it, it, it makes the difference in whether our kids really are learning and benefiting from their education and to what extent they are and uh, being able to look, the families can look back on the investments being made now 
their tax dollars and tax dollars of others uh, to be able to support these kinds of investments uh, in early childhood education. So we need to continue to do that. Uh, we need to continue to make sure we are investing in the very youngest, the uh, pre-kindergarten, and we're going to continue to do that. I was afraid that we might be looking at cuts there, but we're not, thank thankfully. And uh, apparently in this budget, the mayor is proposing to uh, add more uh, early childhood education seats uh, for the very youngest, those who are birth uh, up to uh, three. So I hope we can do it. But that's where we start to make the case for here are the things that are so important to us and here's how we're gonna continue, here's how and why we're gonna to continue to do these things. Right, and with the early childhood education stuff, it, it, again, it may be obvious, but, but folks don't always say it out loud. In addition to benefiting the child for their whole life, if the kid is in childcare, that frees up the parents mm -hmm. for whatever it is, employment, further education, better healthcare for themselves, just because they have the literal time in their day to accomplish that stuff. So it really is a kind of a two for one scenario. There's a lot of benefits to the other family members in addition to the kid growing up wiser and more effective their whole life. You know, I had an interesting experience. Uh, it's been, a, been now close to a year where I went, went to a meeting in a uh, charter school. Uh, when, when I was there for several purposes, but um, when I walked out of the meeting, I walked outside uh, of the building and this very young mother uh, came out with two very young kids in tow. Um, I think they were probably uh, three or, and at most four to two of them. I just stopped and I said, can I speak to you for a minute? And she said, sure. I said, I would appreciate the opportunity just to say thank you uh, for what you're doing. I said, you have taken the opportunity to make sure your kids got to school today and what a wonderful benefit um, they are deriving from this because you've taken them to school, you sent a powerful message to them about how important their education is. And you know, frankly, um, she, she is now benefiting from them being in school. Uh, I don't know whether she worked or didn't work or what the case may be, but I saw that she had taken the time to invest in her very young children to get them to an education that day. And uh, what a wonderful uh, opportunity it created for those children and frankly, what you were talking about for this family uh, who now had, um, didn't have the, the, the burden of uh, having to all day long you know, care for those children because they were in an organized education program uh, that day. And, uh, you know, as we've gone through this, this, this pandemic, um, we've seen how many uh, kids have, you know, had to be educated uh, virtually. And there's just, we're engaged in right now. And uh, how many of those kids, um, you know, have continued to be educated. I just hope that they haven't lost major chunks uh, of the gains they've made um, as a result of not being uh, in school, you know, consistently. I mean, these kids have... Uh, They've been, they've been educated on a virtual basis. Um, they uh, have had, you know, uh, computer-generated uh, lesson plans made available to them. And who knows what's going to happen in the future? You know, I just saw yesterday some proposals that would have kids, uh, you know, maybe for the next year going uh, one day a week uh, and, and uh, you know, getting virtual education otherwise or, you know, they're... Uh, families having to 
make uh, you know educational opportunities available to them in their own home. Uh, so who knows what we're going to have to resort to in the future, but it should not be to the sacrifice of our children's uh, growth and development. That's that's something that's not that is just not uh, negotiable to me. Definitely. Um, so we're starting to run short on time. I'm going to ask you a question. I'll be listening for your answer, but while you're uh, answering, I'm going to quickly look on my phone uh, because we're live on Facebook to just see if we got any quick questions in from uh, Facebook users. But the question I'm going to ask you that you can answer while I'm doing all that is how are you uh, personally experiencing uh, COVID and the stay-at-home order? You're a person who's used to going to <laughs> meetings a day and, and events at night and community picnics and uh how are how are you handling is is it uh is there any relief to it that you're not on the treadmill quite as much or is it all just uh frustration and you can't be living the life you've been accustomed to for uh two or three decades well it is frustrating uh i can't deny that uh it is not fun uh to be the days start to run together you forget is this wednesday is this uh friday is this the Saturday, what, what day is this? And uh, that is really frustrating to have to uh, deal with. Um, but, you know, we, we have continued uh, to work hard. Um, my wife is, you know, she, she has her own, you know, her own um, career. Uh, she owns and operates a school uh, for children with uh, emotional disorders. And uh, she, she's great at it. Um, but the, uh, at the same time, uh, it means that, you know, we, we work hard to try to support one another in these uh, situations. Um, so it's not fun, you know, not going into the Wilson building every day or going to the various and sundry meetings um, that I typically go to. And also, I have to remember this too, Josh, that I've been in the middle of a campaign. Uh, and it's very frustrating to try to run a campaign uh, during, the, uh, during this, this uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, experience. Um, you can't go to the number of meetings that you normally go to. You know, can't go to the number of forums. So many forums have been uh, conducted as Zoom uh, experiences, um, just like we're doing right now. Uh, so um, I can't say it's been fun, uh, but we continue to work as hard as we can to continue to do uh, the business of our, of our, of our citizens. Um, so only one question has come in uh, on Facebook, a number of uh, comments, um, but one question, and it's very obscure, so feel free to tap out on this if you don't have a, an answer. Uh, but the question is, what are the procedural advantages of having a committee of the whole? Um, and why would you not just have three votes in legislative meetings instead of having the committee of the whole uh, uh, pronounce legislation as ready for the council's consideration and then the council taking two votes. I guess that's probably a Robert's Rules of Order uh, <laughs> question precedes the council's existence by a, a while, but if yeah. you want to touch in as a former council chair, uh, have at it. Well, it is it's a great question. Uh, and it's a, I wouldn't call it obscure at all. I call it as an excellent question uh, from somebody who's obviously paying attention to what goes on. Uh, in the Wilson Building environs uh, every day. So, um, you know, it brings all the members together, um, not necessarily as a, 
I won't say it's a decision-making body because it is decision-making in the sense of whether you move forward um, legislation at that stage uh, to the full council uh, to be voted on um, or uh, have a discussion about uh, the issues. So I think it, I think it really helps to shape um, the legislation that uh, could or should be uh, before us. I don't think there's any substitute for it. So I would not make any argument at all uh, that would have any real substance to it that says we should just do away with the uh, committee as a whole. Um, it really helps you, you know, I chair a committee, I have the health committee, as you know, uh, and it helps me uh, to be able to help to shape, uh, you know, the presentation, uh, you know, coming out of the health committee. I have four other members who are on the health committee who I'm glad they, they're on there. I'm glad to work with them. They've been really diligent uh, since I've been back on the council and working with me. So when we advanced legislation to the committee as a whole, um, I have four members then, including myself, myself, who are part of the health committee. They can help to make the case uh, for what we're trying to move forward. But it gives all the members of the, of the committee, uh, of the council, excuse me, a stake in what's being advanced uh, at that stage. I don't think there's any substitute for it. And I would not recommend that we uh, in any way uh, eliminate uh, the committee as a whole. Okay, let's do one final fun question. Uh, in your time at home, is there a particular food or a particular song or a musical group that has helped to get you through your time at home? Well, uh, the one thing that I've done, which is, is, uh, is unusual for me, is that um, my wife is a great cook. And uh, she, has, uh, she has made sure that we do a couple of things. One, that we have, uh, we have dinner, uh, which I'm, I'm not good at that, to tell you the truth. I'm usually out of somebody's meeting or some group is having something, so I'm out uh, doing those things. So we've done that. But we also take the opportunity during that dinner hour uh, to enjoy a show uh, that we watch, and that is Jeopardy. Um, we watch Jeopardy every, every evening uh, at this point. So I hope that, I, I guess it's really up to me whether we lose that opportunity in the future or not, but I don't want to lose it because it really is a great opportunity for me and for her because she has a, she has a very demanding uh, career uh, also in, in serving uh, children uh, every day. So we'll have to discipline ourselves and make sure we continue to do those kinds of things. So not so much a song, uh, but I say uh, an opportunity to do something that we otherwise might not do. And she has these other shows that she watches too, which I don't pay a lot of attention to, like The Voice, uh, The Masked Singer, and that sort of thing. I had never paid attention to those shows before now. So I've watched those periodically. So I'm probably doing some things, Josh, that I, I wouldn't be doing otherwise. So um, I'm getting in some things that uh, have helped to replace uh, what I would be doing in the Wilson Building or some other meeting uh, had been doing here before. What is your favorite dish your wife makes? Um, well, she's pretty good at spaghetti. Uh, I guess it's not really hard to make spaghetti, but she does a great job uh, with the sauce. We had the, the sausage and uh, the meat sauce uh, yesterday. Uh, so that good to me. Yeah, <laughs> lunch, so I'm in. I'll be right there. We'd love to have you. <laughs> All right. Well, unfortunately, council member, we're out of time. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time out uh, from your home.
And uh, I'd just like to say to any new listeners who might be joining us because we're on Facebook, uh, you can subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again, listeners, uh, for joining us. Tune in again next time. We're at DC Radio at 96.3 on your HD4 dial or at dcradio.gov. I'm Josh Gibson, and this is not a council here. This is hearing from